You are now entering the transit zone. Believe it or not, under the hood of this uh, ordinary looking car is the future. This is a hydrogen fueled car that we're seeing at a demonstration project here in Canberra. Meeting the federal government's target of getting to net zero emissions by 2050 is going to involve using some really exciting new technology. That's why we're investing over a billion dollars in the production of hydrogen across the country. This demonstration project actually makes its own hydrogen, the first green hydrogen plant in the country. This is the future, it's an exciting one, and together we will get to net zero through projects like this. Authorised by Trent Zimmerman, Liberal Party, North Sydney. When was the last time you felt your voice, or our North Sydney voice, was being heard in Canberra? Hi, my name's Kylie Tink, and the fact I haven't felt that way in a really long time has prompted me to accept the community's invitation to run as North Sydney's independent at the next federal election. I'm a working mum who's been a successful CEO and a self-employed businesswoman. Importantly, I've lived and worked around North Sydney for over 15 years. This is my home. My kids have gone to school here. My businesses have had their offices here. Most of my friends are spread right across the North Sydney electorate and I know how lucky I am to live in a vibrant and diverse community. At the same time, I'm really frustrated. Frustrated, we just don't seem to be able to trust many of the most powerful decision makers in Canberra to steer us in a direction that guarantees our kids can enjoy the same standard of living we do. Welcome back to The Transit Zone. I'm Peter Clark in Melbourne, Australia. Margot Kingston in Comboyne, New South Wales. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we record and produce these podcasts, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Beerpai people of the Port Macquarie region of New South Wales. We pay respect to their elders. If you're a regular visitor to The Zone, you'll already know. Margot, Tim Dunlop, who's in France right now, and I have been doing a series on grassroots democracy in Australia, specifically examining and documenting some of the various voices for political startups around Australia, where centre-right community-based candidates are taking on Liberal Party incumbents, or ex-Liberal Party in the case of Craig Kelly in the seat of Hughes, of blue-ribbon seats in the looming federal election. We've spoken with the matriarch of the movement, Cathy McGowan, who won the Northern Victorian regional seat of Indi from senior Liberal Sophie Mirabella, and successfully passed the torch to current independent member Helen Haynes, who's spoken with us twice now about her Australian Federal Integrity Commission bill. Zali Stegall has been in the zone. She ousted longtime member and former Prime Minister Tony Abbott from Moringa in Sydney. Dr Sophie Scomps, co-founder of McKellar Rising, right next door and to the north of Oringa, was with us recently. Susie Holt, the founder of Voices for Groom, an electorate based on the Queensland inland city of Toowoomba, was here too. Susie is now a selected candidate for that seat. And in May this year, Linda Seymour, founder of We Are Hughes, another Sydney seat held by Liberal dissident and now member of the United Australia Party, Craig Kelly. Of course, Clive Palmer is pouring bags of dollars into that contest. Today, the first official Independence Day community-based independent candidate to formally enter the electoral lists, Kylie Tink. She's looking to displace the Liberal Party MP Trent Zimmerman, who's the antithesis of Craig Kelly, mild-mannered, polite and ostensibly a moderate in the Liberal Party. We heard him at the head of this podcast advocating green hydrogen. Kylie Tink, 
Welcome to The Transit Zone. Hi, Peter. Hi, Margot. Thank you for having me. And I'm very excited to join you from Camaragal land this morning. Okay, Kylie, tell us about your journey from born in northwest New South Wales, Coonabarabran, lifelong Liberal voter, to standing against the Liberal Party in Australia's fourth richest electorate. It probably, I can honestly say, Margot, it wasn't a story I expected to be telling. It's not a case that I'm somebody who had always aspired to enter politics. In fact, it's something that I feel um, I've been called to do because there's no other option. We're at a particular time in our society where it is imperative that people like me actually stand up and say no to the type of politics that's happening in Australia. So, yeah, from, you know, very ordinary, humble upbringing, born and bred in Coonabarabran, which is six and a half hours northwest of Sydney, and then have spent most of my life working, you know, in a business environment to try and um, drive really great outcomes from both a commercial perspective, but also a societal perspective. So, and as you say, pretty much my entire life, I've voted Liberal, including in the last federal election, I voted for the current member. It has been um, a really interesting experience to find myself here, but I actually am now so excited to be here and so um, determined to make the most of this opportunity. What sort of Liberal voter were you? What's that background? Small business mainly? Yeah, definitely, Peter. So I come from a small business background. My mum and dad are both still in small business out in Coonabarabran. I mean, for me, you know, growing up, the Liberal Party was the party that represented the opportunity for every Australian to work hard and get ahead. You know, it was about creating a better country. You know, it was something to be aspirational to be Australian was something that I saw and and was taught in my hometown. I think it was also, um, to me, the Liberal Party was about statesmanship, you know, and, and it was about leaders actually encouraging us all to be better and to go further than we perhaps thought we could go. So it was very natural for me to fall into that um, liberal line of voting. And I think I would describe myself as someone who coming from that business background, you know, it's incredibly important to me that people who work hard have every opportunity to get ahead. So I fundamentally believe in the importance of um, high performing business. I do, though, also believe that we should be constantly seeking to improve ourselves and our society. So I'm quite socially progressive. And I think perhaps that's where I've finally fallen out of step with the Liberal Party. I didn't even realise that it had happened. But I looked up, you know, one day in the last sort of 18 months and suddenly thought, who are those? What is this party? And it doesn't represent me anymore. Who does? And I couldn't find it. So, you know, for me, I think that's why when the North Sydney Independent Movement found me and actually asked if I'd be interested in running as a candidate for this electorate, this whole new world opened up in front of me and all of a sudden I could see myself getting involved in politics. When Malcolm Turnbull became Prime Minister, I just sort of had this sigh of relief and thought, you know, this could work. What were your feelings about Malcolm and, and what happened? Did that influence your your thinking in any way? Um, Margot, I think for me, this is actually something that 
probably unconsciously has been evolving in me over the last six years, really. And to your point, I was very excited to see Malcolm Turnbull step up and become our Prime Minister because in him, I saw a whole heap of characteristics and values that I felt were speaking to me and what I felt the Liberal Party was about. You know, I saw someone who, until that point in time, I'd always felt it was very visionary. You know, he spoke about moving our country forward bravely. He had policies and legislative reform that he wanted to bring in around climate and our, you know, the future direction of our economy that really excited me. And so, yeah, I think like um, many probably, you know, what's now commonly called small L liberal. I didn't know I was a small L liberal, (laughs) but, you know, many small L liberals got very excited. And to see him then compare you know, with respect, because I I don't know uh, Malcolm Turnbull, but I do still respect him. It just didn't work. He was unable, from what I could see, to get traction on anything that was authentically him as he went into that environment, you know. And perhaps for me, that was the beginning of the disillusionment, where I suddenly saw that whatever was going on at that federal level and within that party, that voice of forward-thinking, statesman-like behaviour was just completely trampled in a very unchivalrous manner and pushed right out the door, you know. And I just thought, wow, that is that is that environment pushing people like me out of the out of the house. So I was incredibly disappointed, incredibly disappointed, because for me, I guess the other thing is I knew the history of the Liberal Party is that it was a party created by many parties coming together. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what Menzies was able to do. He brought, you know, a number of parties together and said, let's run, we need to form up. So to me, that was always the strength of the Liberal Party, that there were multiple opinions there and that every member of the Liberal Party always had the right to cross the floor on a vote. You know, if, if they didn't feel it aligned with what their electorate had sent them there to represent, or they didn't feel it aligned to where their particular heart lay, they could cross the floor. That party's gone. That doesn't seem to exist anymore in um, Canberra, particularly that federal level. And it seems whatever debate is happening down there, we just have to trust it's happening in some closed room that we have no access to. So we don't know who's saying what. And by the time it comes back out and actually, you know, um, reports to us in the form of how they vote on the floor, it's with a singular voice, no dissent. And, you know, in my case, I have a very likeable local member in Trent Zimmerman. But when you look at his voting record, it is almost identical to Barnaby Joyce's. And that just blows my mind because I just think that's something I never thought I would see in um, Australian politics in terms of that. It seems to be all about the battle and the power and the party lines. And for me, I think what we've lost is the fact that Parliament only exists for the people. You know, this amazing system that we have that overlays our country is meant to be there to ensure that every person's voice has an equal chance at being heard. I actually don't think we've ever been further from that reality than we are in modern day Australia. And that's really disappointing and I don't think it's becoming of us. It's not who we are as a nation. Kylie, Coonabarabran is a long way from North Sydney, the North Sydney electorate. It's a big electorate. It incorporates quite a lot of harbour front suburbs. I've actually lived in that electorate in Waverton as a poor student at the film school in an old workers' cottage. So it's gone through a lot of history. It's very gentrified now. Billy Hughes was a member. Joe Hockey, of course, was a member. I've always been intrigued by the fact that Henry Lawson used to live in that electorate as well in Lavender Bay. Describe and analyse for us through your lens 
that electorate of North Sydney? Peter, the electorate is actually a very vibrant and diverse electorate. And to your point, I don't think even the majority of people that live here realise how big it is. For myself, as somebody who was invited to run, I wasn't fully aware of the geographical boundaries of it, but it does actually extend a, a fairly large way around the Sydney Harbour on the north side. When you look at our population, you know, 45% of the people who currently reside in North Sydney weren't born in Australia. We do have a very diverse background in terms of our population. Our average age is about 37.5, so we tend to be a young demographic. Over 50% of the electorate will have had, you know, some sort of tertiary qualifications, so we're a well-educated electorate. And I think what we're finding more and more is that we're probably an electorate where generations are living in the same house because the kids are taking longer to move out because they can't afford to move out. So mum and dad have got, you know, young adults living with them for longer periods of time. When I think about the North Sydney electorate, and and I must confess, this has been a a major reason for me stepping up. I look at our electorate and I see an electorate that is full of thinkers. It's full of feelers. It's full of people who have been incredibly successful at the things that they've set their heads to. It's um, a compassionate electorate. It's um, an intellectual electorate. And I think this is an electorate that actually is doing a lot of good both for itself and for the wider community. Yet, when you look at how that electorate is being represented in Canberra, see how our member is voting, that voting isn't being expressed in the same way that I think the electorate lives. And I also confess there was a moment in time where... um, You know, I think it was our Prime Minister was in the middle of a discussion around the energy future for Australia and his comment was that it was something to the effect that the latte-sipping inner-city dwellers from the Lower North Shore would not be setting the energy policy for Australia. And I was so offended, so offended, because I just thought it was an unnecessary attack It just showed how out of touch this government was because, you know, every Australian has the right to have a say in how our energy economy is developed. This isn't just a one electorate thing. And for the Prime Minister to be so dismissive and so belittling of myself and the people that I live with, I took offence. I can actually say I was offended by his um, statement. And I thought, okay, well, maybe this latte-sipping Lower North Shore dweller needs to step up and say, actually, I do expect you to listen to me and I would like to have a discussion with you about this. I read a really great interview that you did with the University of Technology student where you said, I'm the least political person you know, politics does my head in, and you weren't involved in in Voices for North Sydney, which did all the work with kitchen table conversations, bringing people together, and its offshoot, North Sydney's Independent, which went away to find a candidate. Tell me how they found you and the process you went through to go, oh, why not go on the adventure of completely changing my life? I'm really bad at politics. For me, that was something I became aware of through Um, the roles that I worked in over many years, you know, I've been working since I was 14. So, um, you know, that's, that's over 35 years now. And I'm very grateful that I've been very successful and I've had incredible opportunities um, to do extraordinary things. But one of the things I've always struggled with is this concept of the politics of business, you know, and often I would have chairman sit me down and go, you know, Kylie, you're just not playing the politics. Or, you know, I'd have an international business lead who'd go, you know, Kylie, you've got to be more political around where you want to get to and where you want to be. 
And I just can't do it. I'm just, I'm not good at being anything other than what I am. So I think for me, I feel like I'm grown up enough now to kind of just embrace that and go, well, you know, this is, this is who I am. And um, I don't want to be trying to pretend to be anything else. From my perspective, um, I'd taken last year off to be around more. My eldest son was doing his HSC, so I wanted to be more present. The one thing about me and all of my jobs is they've, they've always been incredibly consuming. You know, I've done a lot of traveling, a lot of given a lot of family time up. So I thought I needed to be around more for James. That kind of gave me a moment in time to observe more what was going on around me. So I think for me, I became aware that there seemed to be this this conversation happening at this level of federal government that I just didn't recognise. And I was quite shocked. It's a very personal responsibility to me that we are in the position that we are when it comes to our federal government, because I do think... You know, I'm partly responsible for where we are today because I've just voted the way I voted for 20 years and I've not thought about it because I just assumed it was going well. You know, I trusted that where I was putting my vote was being expressed in a way that I expected was consistent with my values. And um, I became really uncomfortable in 2020 because I suddenly realised, hang about, that isn't happening. So for me, there was a real trigger moment around um, the sustainable and renewable energy debate. And specifically, it was in the September where, you know, the Prime Minister, I got this news alert saying that the PM had come out and basically said if the New South Wales government wouldn't fund a gas power plant in the Hunter Valley, then the federal government would. Gas-led recovery. Gas-led recovery. Gas-led recovery from COVID. I suddenly thought there's something not right here. You know, it was the, it was the fact that... To me, the federal government was bullying the state government. It was the fact that to me, here we are in a health crisis and our federal government is talking about a fossil fuel solution to pull us out. I just felt really uncomfortable in it. And then the next day I heard Michael Cannon Brooks from Atlassian. He said, you know, for our prime minister to say that to our country was the equivalent of him going to work and telling all of his programmers they could only work with an abacus for the day. My brain exploded. That was the lightning rod moment for me where I kind of went, yeah, this is bad business. These people that we've put in charge of our country are actually making a bad business decision. I don't know why, but it's bad business. You know, it became very evident to me very quickly that one of the things that the fossil fuel industry is very good at is having influence and exerting influence. You know, they're embedded on all levels of our country in terms of not only our business centre, but also our bureaucracy. That's kind of what I was doing when a friend called me um, very randomly one day and just said, look, you know, I know you've not gone back to work yet. Have you ever considered entering politics? I laughed at her. I was like, are you serious? And she's like, yes, yeah. You know, I've, I was at this event the other night. I've met this person. They've asked me if I could think of anybody that might be worth them talking to. And Kylie, you've come immediately to my mind. Wow. And I just said, you know what, look, I'm up for I'm up for anything. You know, I'm happy to talk to them. It was literally 24 hours later, I got a phone call from one of the people involved in North Sydney's Independent. We had this incredible conversation for over an hour where literally, again, she just kind of was trying to work out who I was and how I thought. We hung up and then I got another call the next day. So, And about six weeks later, the group had spoken to people who have worked with me as references, not knowing, you know, what they were asking about. But you know, I knew they still had one very significant reference to do and the group had rung and asked if I could make a meeting on the Friday morning. And I must admit, I was kind of at that point of going, I don't know how much more I can tell you about myself. You know, this is, I've shown you everything. I've, I've been completely transparent. 
And so on this call, I get on and, um, yeah, they literally blew me away by saying, you know, Kylie, we actually were ringing this morning to ask you if you'll be our candidate. And I was like, but you haven't even spoken to, you know, X, Y, Z, which was the next day. And they said, no, no, we just really feel like, you know, we don't need to. We believe you're the person who could um, represent us at this level. And, um, and then they said, but, you know, we appreciate it. It's a big decision. You know, please take the weekend, have a think about it, talk to your family. And Margo, I think what was amazing for me is that I just knew in that minute it's what I wanted to do. So I actually answered straight away and said, you know, look, thanks for that, but I don't need the weekend to think about it. I mean, let's do this. If the least we do is drive a conversation that encourages others like me to actually be more awake to the opportunity and to be more aware of the, the responsibility we have then that's an extraordinary thing to be able to do. And, you know, I guess for me, that's that's what this is all about. You know, it, we can't sit back as a country and complain about the way our federal government is behaving or working if we're not prepared as citizens to stand up and say, well, we put you there. It's now on us to fix what we've created. So, Kylie, it's been about four weeks since your launch. Six weeks, Six actually, weeks. Margo. God. Tonight you're hosting a, um, a pretty high-level forum on what's going on in Glasgow for the public. I'm just intrigued about how you've adjusted to all of a sudden a non-political person who speaks straight, who's the sort of person, here's a problem, let's fix it, all of a sudden goes into this world where you've got a very fast startup around you and it's, it's you out there. I mean, how have you coped? How are your kids feeling? What phase are you in? Before I entered this experience, I thought, I'm 50. Oh, 50. In your prime. <laughs> yeah, correct. Well, and I've had this incredible life. Seriously, I'm so grateful for the experiences I've had professionally with my family, with my friends. And so when North Sydney's independent approached me, I kind of thought, yeah, well, you know, I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty well informed, you know, I, I consider myself fairly intelligent. My brain's pretty full. I actually remember having that thought, my brain's pretty full. Within two weeks of having said yes to North Sydney's Independent, I actually realised how much more space was left in my brain and what an opportunity there was to actually just absorb this extraordinary amount of information that is out there with people who are far smarter than me on issues that really matter. You know, and I actually remember saying, again, when I was first considering taking it, one of the things I think is problematic in our current political system is it seems that it's just not de rigueur for a politician to actually say, look, I'm sorry, we got that wrong. You know, we thought we were doing the right thing, but actually we got it wrong. You know, we should have placed that order with Pfizer earlier. We should have not approved that gas exploration license. But it's okay, we've now learned and we're going to do it differently. For me, that's what's happening around me, Margot, from an intellectual and, and kind of soul perspective. It, it's, I'm just learning so much from everyone and just so grateful to have that opportunity to have those conversations. I've always been fascinated by other people's stories. I love learning about other people. And so, you know, I've made it really, really clear to everybody that I've spoken to. I'm not, I'm not an expert. I'm not doing this because I think I have all the answers. But what I'm very good at is going out and finding people who do have the answers, listening, and then bringing that information back to the people that need to know. From a personal level, it's much bigger than I expected. When I said yes to North Sydney's Independent, I kind of went, oh, you know, well, I'm putting my hand up to be a candidate 
in the federal seat of North Sydney in an election that's yet to be called. It'll be okay. The kids thought it was a great adventure, you know, not surprised at all because this is what mum always does, sees something that needs fixing and then I just throw myself into it. I guess because I am the first independent in what is actually becoming quite an extraordinary movement though, the amount of noise and the amount of attention I think has actually been um, somewhat disproportionate but for this movement and this moment in time you know again potentially not what I thought I was signing on for but I recognize that it is an extraordinary opportunity and you know it's a really important time in our society to be trying to create I'm sort of hoping that by standing I'm giving other people like me who are not political the idea that they actually do have permission to stand and get involved you know, that you don't have to have been raised as a politician to enter politics, that you don't have to be nominated by a party to be, you don't have to be flown in by a party to run. Politics is fundamentally about the people that it's designed to represent. And therefore, it's more of those people that need to be standing up and saying, okay, well, let's see what we can do with this system when we put some real human voices into the house. You're listening to another Transit Zone podcast. I'm Peter Clark with Margot Kingston. Our guest, the independent candidate for the seat of North Sydney, seeking to replace Liberal Party incumbent Trent Zimmerman, Kylie Tink. Kylie, let's talk about the pragmatics of the campaign that you've already started. You mentioned a moment ago that Trent Zimmerman you rather like. He's a, ostensibly a very nice bloke quietly spoken, not a nasty enemy. Some of the other independents have people against whom they can push much harder. I guess you can't do that with Trent Zimmerman. I'm intrigued to know exactly how you're going to frame your advocacy of climate change measures. As a small L liberal, there are internal contradictions about the transition to a different energy economy and capitalism and market forces themselves. How are you going to go about that? Yeah, I to Trent um, himself as an individual, I've met Trent a number of times actually since he came into the seat here in North Sydney because one of the things I, I run a um, Facebook community here across um, North Sydney, Chicks in the Hood, which is very much a, a community-based Facebook team. You know, it's all about sharing information about, you know, great tradespeople or answering questions. Trent reached out to me very early on in his campaign when he was looking to win this seat. And I've always found Trent to be a really likeable person. You know, he is very easy to talk to. When you meet him, he has a nice energy about him. And, you know, when I had conversations with him and indeed when I've had conversations with him since, he's spoken in a way that I thought, yeah, that I can relate to that. You know, I believe that, you know, if that's the voice you're taking to Canberra, then that's that's a good voice. What's interesting about it, though, Peter, is over time what I can't work out now when it comes to Trent is whether whether he himself must not be incredibly personally conflicted because if he does believe sincerely the things that I've spoken to him about and he continues to advocate vocally whether it's in you know conversations around green hydrogen or reduction in fossil fuel harvesting if he really believes those things why is he not voting against them when it comes to his vote in the house you know his vote is almost identical to Barnaby Joyce's in every situation when it comes to federal government. And so... Do you feel sorry for him a bit? Yeah, I don't know how he's 
how he reconciles that for himself. I couldn't live that way. Let's just put it that way. And I know we should never judge others. You know, I just know I couldn't disagree with something and still vote for it um, because I just don't believe that that's, you know, who I am. And I, I think particularly when you're sent as a member to represent a community and you've been sent on the assumption that this is your mandate and then you turn your back on your mandate, I find that in, inconceivable. So, Peter, you know, I, I was talking to someone the other day and they were saying, you know, Zali had it so much easier than you because, you know, everybody wanted Tony out, you know, the nemesis by that point in time. My comment to them was that, you know, whatever you think about Tony Abbott, you knew exactly who you were getting. That yep. man walked his talk. He still to this day advocates the way he advocated at that, you know, that last point in time. So I actually have probably, honestly, more respect for Tony than I do currently for what's going on with our moderate liberals, because at least Tony walked his talk. Whereas I think what we're seeing with the little L liberals is that they're talking one way, but walking a completely different way. I think it's completely self-serving when you see headlines, you know, two or three day days later saying, well, we threatened to cross the floor. You know, we said we were going to do this. It's like, pff, so you're only as good as your last, the last physical action you took is what you should be judged on. And threats and might have happens and letters that may have been written or conversations that might have been had or you know, selective text messages that are suddenly leaked. That to me just doesn't cut it. You know, we need to be true to who we are and represent, you know, what what we've been sent for. Kylie, as we're seeing with Labor now adopting their small target position for the coming election, really the devil is in the detail with climate change measures. And as I alluded to earlier, there are some really fundamental contradictions to do with capitalism and market forces, etc. Once you get into the detail, perhaps in open forum debates or in your ongoing messaging, what is going to be that detail coming from you about climate change and how we transition to a new energy economy? Yeah, and apologies, I didn't answer that bit before, Peter. Um, for me, the opportunity when it comes to um, the transition that our economy needs to move through is in actually embracing that opportunity and setting ourselves ambitious goals and then having clear policy for people to follow and, and systems in place. So my intention as an independent for North Sydney would be to um, support the work that Zali Stegall's been doing out of Warringah. So I think the bills that she's now put forward twice and twice has had them sent out of the House without debate, I think those bills deserve to be debated openly in front of Australians so that people can understand what forces are working against them and why the things that I think are very, very sensible, such as an, you know, an independent climate advisory council that can actually is full of the experts in this area could advise um, government. Why is that being so um, steadfastly refuted and ignored by our current government? So I think we do need to move the whole transition for Australia around climate needs to be taken out of the hands of party politics and put back into the hands of our community in a way that makes that makes it make sense and keeps it aligned with science. From my perspective, it's, it's about more ambitious targets out to 2030. I mean, depending on who you speak, my initial public position was that we should be at least 50% reduction by 2030 because based on everything I'd spoken to and everybody I'd spoken to, that's very, very achievable. I note Zali Stegall has recently come out and updated her bills to now 
ask for 60% by 2030, which I think is is great. And I'm all about standing behind that and revising my ambitions to that higher level. The Climate Council has said we should be 75% by 2030. Now, none of those numbers have just been plucked out of thin air. They've all been generated by people who, as I said before, are far smarter than me and have actually looked at the economics of things like energy and how we transfer our current electricity grid from a reliance on fossil fuel powers to being able to be more micro in scale, a reliant on renewable and sustainable energy. It's things like our cars, you know, car emissions policy here in Australia. How do we get Australians into electric vehicles faster and not become a dumping ground for the world for diesel vehicles? It's how do we ensure that the infrastructure projects we're looking at are actually looking at ways to move people en masse rather than private vehicle, you know. So there's a whole heap of things that we can be doing. I find it fascinating that the government appears to be trying to convince us that when they talk about technology, not taxes, I feel like our federal government is trying to convince us that we don't have the technology yet, that there's some amazing piece of technology, be it a magic sponge, that is yet to be developed and invented. But once it is, it'll fix everything that we've done. You know, we can keep pumping out our carbon emissions, but there'll be some other amazing piece of technology that'll soak it up. To me, that's completely false. We do have the technology that we need right now. It just requires political will to actually transform our nation and to stop treating ourselves as just a pit and actually look at how we can transition from being the larger, largest exporter of fossil fuel products in the world to actually being the largest exporter of sustainable and renewable energies in the world. In Australia, a solar panel in Queensland will generate two and a half times more energy than a solar panel in Germany. Our country is placed like none of the others in the Northern Hemisphere to truly be a sustainable and renewable energy superpower. So I don't understand why we're not moving into that and embracing it because what we can be sure of given the international moves is if we don't, somebody else will, you know, we will get beaten to it. We'll be stuck with, you know, VHS technology when everybody else is live streaming. So for me as an independent, it would be really about bringing that discussion into the, into that house and saying, you know, let's be real about what we can do and how quickly we can do it because this is about political will, not technology. This is about our will to make the change. You can see that the coalition is, is trying, clearly trying to set up a, a framework where it's city versus country when it comes to climate change, that the country is going to suffer and the city's going to be okay. Would you see part of your role in parliament as actually getting together with the country representatives and finding a just a just transition so that regional communities dependent on, on mining, for example, are given the means to, to get to an, the next good place. We don't seem to be able to talk together across the country to make that happen yet. Where would you see your role there if you got got the job in North Sydney? Yeah, Margot, having grown up in the bush, you know, I am born and bred country. And actually, whenever I hear a politician start to try and foster that story, that it's us versus them, country versus city, it really annoys me because it's simply not true. I mean, you know, I would really encourage everybody. One of the upsides of COVID has been we've had more time to explore our own backyard. You know, get in the car, take your family. If you're listening to me from a metropolitan area, get in the car, take your family and take them out west and look at what's happening in our rural and regional areas because 
if you want to see solar farms and you want to see wind farms and you and you want to see amazing adoption of sustainable and renewable technology you only have to go west of the blue mountains and you'll see it you know there are whole communities that are already re-gearing so i actually think this whole country versus city that's just that's just political game playing because people who live in the bush have children, have futures that they're worried about, you know, are very mindful that what they're doing and how they're farming is having an impact on our carbon emissions. And I think at the moment it serves our government to stay in power to divide us. That behaviour happens time and time again. If it's not dividing between country and city, it's dividing between suburb and suburb. If it's not dividing between suburb and suburb, it's dividing between our cultural backgrounds or, you know, it's dividing between international borders and actually, that's just a way for this this system to stay unchallenged. You know, if everybody actually stood up and went, well, no, we're not going to believe that. And we're actually going to recognise that we are all Australian. We all fundamentally want a healthy future for our country, for our economy, for our children. And therefore, the best way to get that is to talk to each other and actually work out who does have the best ideas and lean into those then I think we'd be unstoppable as a nation. We're not huge as a nation. 30 million people, is it? I don't know. I've lost track of the number. 26. There you go. 26 million people. So, you know, this conceivably, we are a nation that should be able to move ourselves to the point of collaboration fairly quickly, again, if we had the political will to do so. And true leadership. You know, when was the last time you felt inspired by somebody that you saw in Canberra? You know, like that moment where you thought oh my gosh, that's an idea I can get behind. I want to be part of that. Wouldn't it be lovely if actually aspiring to enter politics was something that people applauded and were kind of fighting over the opportunity to get to because they recognised it as the highest office you can have, you know, in the country. There's no greater privilege than representing other people, surely. You know, surely that's what it should be seen as. And I think at the moment, the fact it's not seen as that is um, a result of a system that we've let create itself. So, you know, people keep saying to me, oh, but independent, you know, what are you really going to get done? What's possible? I live in excitement of what is the opportunity, you know. And as I said, Parliament is only the way it is because it is created by ourselves. Our constitution wasn't written for parties. Parties didn't exist when the Australian constitution was still written. It was written for independence. A really strong crossbench um, that actually brings this debate back into the House where people can hear it, that's a positive thing for our democracy. And um, that's what I'll be aspiring to encourage happen for us. Kylie, let's run this scenario then. Following on from those thoughts, we have the election it's a hung parliament. So we've got something like an Abbott-Gillard situation, perhaps both parties vying for crossbench support, looking to put a coalition together. You find yourself midst that turmoil. As an independent in a big affluent liberal blue ribbon seat, how do you deal with that? What are going to be the contours of that negotiation for you? What's very clear for me, Peter, is North Sydney to date has given me very clear guidance on the matters that are most important to them. That first matter is faster action on climate. And that's not just from an environmental perspective, but actually from an economic perspective. So embracing the opportunity that is faster action on climate. 
that then leads me to the second priority, which is a forward-focused economy. So how are we building a society and an economy that actually inspires young Australians and gives them hope for the future rather than drags them down and makes them feel like they don't have a future? The third priority is a federal integrity commission. So how do we bring integrity back into politics? Because let's face it, anybody who's ever held a job in any spot outside federal parliament knows that there is behaviour that is taking place down there at the moment that would not be tolerated for a nanosecond in any other work environment. So we need to tidy that up. And the fourth thing is equality. So whether that's gender equality, so we have the respect at work done previously with Kate Jenkins, you know, there's 55 recommendations coming out of that. At the moment, the government's only adopted six. I think we should be adopting all 55. There is also then the voice for First Nations in our constitution. How are we actually recognising that as a nation, we're 65,000 years old, not 200. So how do we repair that schism and actually own up to the reality of our history? And then finally, it's about how do we treat those that are seeking asylum in our country? You know, are they treated with basic human decency, I'm, I, you know, and not on the assumption that anyone, everyone who shows up will be let in, but definitely on the assumption that anyone who shows up shouldn't be left to um, languish in an indetermined amount of time in detention. So North Sydney has been very clear to me to date that they're their, their priority topics. If I found myself in a situation where there was a, the potential for a hung parliament, it would be my responsibility as North Sydney's representative to get the best outcome on those issues. This is about moving Australia forward, not being belligerent and just saying, well, if my team's not winning, I don't want to play. I'm going to take my toys and go home. That's the important role that independents play, is that they do bring decisions like that back to the issues at hand. And I don't think North Sydney's alone in having those issues. It's a delicate situation, Kylie, because this is a blue ribbon Liberal seat and the Liberals who came across to you, I think, would expect that you would maybe guarantee supply and confidence to the government while saying that on, on these crucial matters, you're, you're prepared to, to vote with Labor to get it done. I wonder whether your electorate might want you... if the negotiations start, et cetera, come back to them and say, how would you like to play this? Yeah, and, and Margot, I think to your point, that supply and confidence is a, is a really important part of it. The opportunity for me is when matters arise that are, that are important and relevant to my electorate, I am free to vote in the way that I know my electorate would want me to vote. You know, I, I'm not going to be beholden to parties or polls or vested interests. My stakeholder group is the people of North Sydney. And so, you know, that's actually one of the really exciting things that we're um, currently in the process of doing is building systems and procedures where people can be actively involved in the decisions that I make in Canberra. You know, I, I find it fascinating that when you look at the current sitting members, you get so much detail out of people like Zali Stegall and Helen Haynes around and Rebecca Sharkey. You know, what matters are going in front of the House? Where am I thinking I'm going to vote? Where do you want me to vote? Let me explain my vote. Let me explain my vote. Yeah. Yet you go to somebody from a party and you don't get anywhere near that level of transparency. This is the phony war stage of the election in North Sydney and across Australia, Kylie. Are you ready emotionally and in terms of your own personal resilience for the crap that's going to come your way? Who knows, Peter? You know, like, I, I, I honestly, I have had some exposure to negative messaging, but um, I'm only human. 
and I'm not going to pretend to be otherwise. You know, I, I have friends around me and family who I love dearly and I trust and I believe they will be there for me. And I think you're right. At some stage, there will be some sort of nasty game played. And um, for me, I think I'm coming at it more from a perspective of, well, you know, let, let that be what it's going to be because actually it'll say more about them than it does about me. And um, I'm just determined to not do what I'm doing that way. You know, I'm very happy to have very open conversations with Trent or anybody else as the campaign progresses around ideas and representation, but on personal challenging and nasty naysaying and phone tapping or whatever, you know, I thought, why, why stoop to that level? It's not necessary. And, um, you know, if people buy into that, then I guess that will just mean they're not you know, the sort of people that would support me anyway. I am about a change in politics. I want to see us do this better. I want it to be more representative of the people we are. And what I ultimately want is it to inspire us to be better than what we are and to be leaning into a better future and, and creating a better country for our kids and the kids to come after them. Kylie, we'll follow here at the Transit Zone that North Sydney campaign and your campaign with great interest. Thanks for being with us in the zone. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I've really, really appreciated it. And thank you for the conversation that you're continuing to drive across communities. I think that's that's invaluable. Yeah, so thank you. You know, you're the first. Everyone's watching you. All the mistakes are going to be made. They're going to learn from you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Margot. Our guest in the Transit Zone this time, Kylie Tink, an independent candidate for the Inner Sydney Electorate of North Sydney in the looming federal election, probably due for about March or a little later next year. There are links to Kylie's website with the on-screen text for this podcast. Margot, before you go today, this has been a very interesting couple of weeks in Australian politics. We've got the Macron-Morrison contretemps, if you want to call it that, and lots of other things happening. We saw, of course, the whole painful journey to come up with net zero by 2050 within the coalition government and the so-called plan, really a slideshow and a pamphlet. As a veteran political journalist, your summing up of what we've seen over the last couple of weeks? I believe we've seen the ingredients for the potential for a major realignment in Australian politics. To have a substance-free climate change plan, to have a struggle to even get to the base level of Paris net zero by 2050 and to actually ignore the urgent need for the world and Australia to take action now to reduce our emissions substantially by 2030. The Macron thing to me is a, is a Scotty from marketing special. I mean, we've managed to alienate the United States, Britain and France on this through Morrison's Scotty from marketing reactive behaviour. We've got the final session for Parliament coming up. We've got a split in the party over the Religious Discrimination Bill, which was an election promise to the hard right. We've got a split in the party about their very weak federal ICAC bill with moderate Liberal MPs basically saying we cannot support ASHIT. <laughs> we cannot do that. And we've got climate change just roiling everywhere. Look, I think Malcolm said it best in, in our interview. He said, look, Morrison tactically is saying that he believes that moderate Liberals, people who believe in Liberalism, will hold their nose and vote for him. Therefore, he can chase the hard right by basically doing nothing and pretending he's doing something. Now, I have a feeling that Liberalism, 
that people who vote for liberalism have got to the stage where they're seriously thinking they're not going to put up with anymore. To have an intellectual barrenness with overseas policy, with domestic policy, I think there is a chance for a realignment. Remember, you've got the hard right really going. If Palmer comes in and takes a couple of seats and smaller liberals hold their nose again, well, we even get under stronger control from the hard right. So I was very interested in Kylie's reflection on how she got to where she got to with someone who's not political, who just sort of voted the way she'd always voted and and then suddenly worked out that actually the Liberal Party had left her. I think it's going to be an incredibly interesting and difficult election. I would say for certain that the Liberal Party is going to put up front independence to run all the the lines about climate change and all the rest of it, but then shovel it back to the incumbent. Everyone needs to be on their game. I think everyone needs to stay calm, including me, and just have a look at, at what is potentially the most, to me, the most important election in my my lifetime and the tipping point election about who we are. I want to be proud to be Australian. I want Australia to lead the world because we've got what it takes. You know, it's all very well to be depressed about where we're going, but it, it just seems to me that a lot of really interesting people are starting to get together and say, I wonder if the people can do it. And as Malcolm said, you know, after the budget, he was asked, what can change the coalition's direction on climate change? And he said the only thing left is the votes of the people. And the very character of Prime Minister Scott Morrison himself, that increased realisation by so many people of his fundamental approach to truth and honesty and clarity, that very character of Morrison, is that becoming more an issue in the coming election, do you believe? Look, his pitch when he released his, his pamphlet on climate change was you can trust us to look after the country and regions, right? I think it's it's getting close to the stage where he cannot run that John Howard in 2004 line. I think it's getting very, very close, and that's why he's so desperate, and that's why he did the unthinkable of leaking a personal text between allies to prove something which it didn't even prove. I mean, boy, oh boy, is he scared that that line is not going to be viable for him. Margot, catch you next time. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. If you'd like to email us at The Transit Zone, here is our email address, transitzonepod at gmail.com. We always welcome your comments, questions, ideas for new podcast episodes, transitzonepod at gmail.com. I'm Peter Clark. Thanks for listening. And please join us again soon right here in The Transit Zone. You are now leaving the transit zone.